It would be fun to do, but uh, we're not going to do it. But it'd be fun to take all of us and go outside uh, to the road and line up in terms of who's like just having a little bit of interest in Jesus and who has been on the road a long time. And we kind of went in order. So the people are just kind of exploring, examining. They're not sure what they think of Jesus at all. They're kind of at this end of the line. And then the people have been at this a long time. They're at the other end of the line. And I, I've been at this a long time, so I'd probably be closer to that end to this end. But if we divide it into two groups, and the one group was people have been Christians a long time, and they really never had any regrets, never thought about leaving the faith, never thought about leaving Christian faith. And then there was another group that over their life have frequently struggled with whether they should abandon Christian faith and abandon Jesus, I would be in that group. And I know enough of you in here to know some of you would be as well. Now, it's not to criticize those of you who have never felt like you wanted to leave Christian faith. It's not to make you feel like guilty because you never have regrets. That's kind of a bit of a contradiction. But there are some of us in the room, and I'm one of them, who uh, on a number of occasions in my life have seriously considered giving up the whole thing and abandoning it and abandoning Jesus. Um, That's a big deal. It's not something you talk about. And because of the roles I've had in my life, uh, I often feel a contradiction with that because I've had a lot of leadership roles in Christian circles. And so somebody who's in leadership to say they've thought about abandoning Jesus and giving up Christian faith, it's sort of, ooh, that's a bit weird. Uh, like your credibility sort of plummets really quickly. Um, The major issue for me has not been, you know, is the resurrection true? Is the virgin birth true? Did Jesus really die on a cross? Did Jesus really walk here? Lots of people have struggles around that. But my struggle is captured on that slide behind me. How do you put strength and weakness together, particularly when you have pain? And so at various points in my life, I've had struggles, I've had pain, I've had difficulties, I've had challenges. And frankly and honestly, and I'm sorry if this is offensive to some of you, I found the messages I've got in Christian circles completely bewildering. Completely bewildering. Sometimes I get the sense that if you're weak and you're struggling and you have pain and you have problems, that's a really good thing, right? Some people talk that way. You often hear people say, oh, you know weakness and frailty and dependence and vulnerability, you know, if you're into Brene Brown, you know, like that's a really good thing. That's a great thing. And then other times you get the message, like if you're having pain or you're struggling, you're having problems, you're having difficulties, that's a bad thing. And I find it totally bewildering. And in a given day sometimes, I've shared my pain with some people or my struggles, and some Christians go, oh, you know, that's really awful, that's really terrible, that's, you know, I'm really sorry, and they kind of come alongside you. And then other Christians give you the message, like, if you're really Christian, you wouldn't be feeling that. And then with all due respect to the worship leaders in the group and to people who have written hymns and choruses over the years, sometimes I listen to some of the songs and I want to stand up and go, you can't be serious. (laughs) I've never done that because that would be, like, horrendous to do. But some of the stuff we sing, even in this building, and again, all due respects to the worship leaders, I find it totally confusing. Like sometimes you get the sense if you've got problems and pain, like, well, God's good, so it's all great. And I'm thinking, it's not great. Like I'm not singing that line. And I've sat here sometimes in this very church, and I've said, God is good, but I've got tears running down my face. And sometimes I can say God is good, and then we come to the all the time, I can't say it. 
because it doesn't feel that way right now. And so when I hear this message sometimes about strength and weakness, and I mean, this is really childish and childlike, I suppose, but I'd like Christians to get together and figure this thing out and speak consistently. Like, is it okay to be weak and struggle and fail, or is it not? Do I have to have everything together all the time and be strong, or is it not? And can all you hymn writers and chorus writers get your heads together and tell us the right message consistently? But I can't get all the Christians together, and I'm still struggling with this, and I don't know how to put this thing together. So that's me scratching my head. My head's a little smaller than that, but that is me scratching my head. How do strength and weakness fit together? So Kim has masterfully, I think, in the first two Sundays of this series, talked about that, or even her own struggles. Remember the first Sunday, she said, I think as a leader in this church, I should set the bar low. And as an old guy who's been around the church for a long time, my thought was when she said that, when those words came out of her mouth, I'm going to set the bar low, I thought, well, there's going to be about half the church are going to go, yay, Kim, that's a great idea. And other people are going, well, we got a leader that wants to set the bar low, that's struggling, that's talking about her weakness. She needs to get her life together. It's so confusing, this area. So where do we go? Where do we go to get this figured out? And I'm an old-fashioned guy, so my apologies for that. But I still think the framing of the Bible gets our theological understanding right. And if we don't have the framing of the Bible, if we don't understand the Bible, if we're not reading the Bible, then we're not going to get this very difficult area straight. And so my favorite passage in the Bible, and I've gone to this passage many, many times over many years, this is the passage that has saved me in the Christian faith. So this is very biographical this morning. This is the passage that's kept me on the road, in spite of the nonsense I hear from a lot of Christians. My apologies for being that blunt, but sometimes the Bible helps me and Christians drive me crazy. So we're going to look at these seven verses this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You have a photo card that my wife took a number of years ago, and you'll notice the clarity of the photo combined with the kind of roughness of the text. And that's kind of the message here today. It's the meta-message that somehow there's great clarity in the Christian faith, but it's messy and rough at the same time. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage. And those of you who kind of listen poorly on a Sunday morning in sermons, you're kind of in and out and sort of you're sort of with it, you're not with it. Stay with the argument of this passage because I have found, and I trust this will be the case for you today, this has been an incredibly helpful passage when it comes to how I understand my strength and how I understand my weakness. And my prayer today is that will be the case for you. So notice how Paul starts in verse 6. He talks, first of all, about creation, a subject we talked about a number of weeks ago. And he says, at creation, light shone. But light didn't shine just at creation. Light also shines in the new creation. Light also shines when Jesus comes. And what is the light that shines into our lives now? It's the light of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, those of you who have a view of Christian faith that's very cognitive and very logical and it's got all your theology straight, the the image here is very powerful. It's it's an image of God's glory is, is shining and is displayed in the face of Christ. And that's what it means to be a Christian. 
That's really what it means to be a Christian here. To be a Christian is to follow someone who has the glory of God shining in his face. Those of you who are artistic and aesthetic and not always into logic and rationality, this is a very powerful message of who Jesus is. Jesus shows in his face the glory of God, and that light shines. So what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Not that Christians are better or Christians do all the right things and non-Christians do all the wrong things. That's not what it's about. Christians have a, have a fresh understanding of what it means to be linked with Jesus and have the light of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. That's who we have. Now, notice what Paul calls this, this light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. He calls it a treasure. That's his image. And again, not a nice, logical, rational, cognitive image, but a very visual image that this knowledge of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ is a treasure. And you'll notice that what I've done on the screen and done in the card in front of you, put that in green. Because it's, it's life, it's vitality. Uh, there's growth, there's movement, there's trajectory. Uh, there's something amazing about this light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. It moves things ahead and it gives us life, it gives us growth, it gives us maturity. That's the treasure. And so Paul here, again using images that are, he doesn't use in other places, but he uses in this particular passage, you're, you're talking about light, you're talking about a face, you're talking about a treasure. And then he says this shocking statement. Where is this treasure? It's in a jar of clay. Now you think of all the places that treasures could be placed, all the places that treasures could be put. It's in a jar of clay. And whatever else we want to say about jars of clay, and there's all kinds of images um, about jars of clay, but the frailty of the jar of clay is really obvious. Look at that picture in front of you and and the picture that Bev took. Um, Do you remember where that's from? It's in in the U.S. somewhere. Um, The sense of frailty of that jar, like if that jar fell off that rock in that picture in front of you, that thing would shatter in all kinds of pieces. And what is that that Paul's talking about? He's talking about the frailty of this. Uh, look down your row for a minute. Just, just take a moment to look down your row. Find the oldest person in your row, you know, who they are. And, yeah, there's Bev at the end of this row. Yeah, she's the, Kevin I don't think is the oldest in this row, but you could look down, Bev's the oldest in this row. And then some of the other rows, like some of the people at the back there, I see you, it's a, sort of a sh- shades of gray over in the, that, that corner over there. There's Ann Penner up there and Bonnie and... Oh, they're, they're all up there, right? So you look down the row, there's a frailty, right? Uh, those of us who are a little older, just look at our faces. Like I just met this lady this morning. I look at, are you allowed to say out loud how old you are? Is that okay? I'm 23. She's 23, okay? So you are, you are 44 years younger than me. So if you look at my face and look at her face, it's obvious, Right? Like, I look much more frail, but she looks more frail than she did when she was born. Sorry. We just, we just met this morning. You won't sit in the front row next week, right? And then, and then beside her is somebody who's older than 23, right? Just a little older than 23. She's dropping things now in her old age. It's all part of what she does. So she looks a little more frail. But you know what? Everybody here is frail. 
Uh, it's fun. We had a seniors event yesterday, and it's great fun at seniors event because most of what we talk about is our body, right? <laughs> talk about our body. We have organ recitals. We go through all the different organs of what's going on and what we're struggling with. And where did you buy your hearing aid? And, and how's, what's your doctor saying to you? Now, that's what we do at seniors event. It's like all these organ recitals. Talk about our... We're deteriorating. We're falling apart. I remember when my elbows were smooth. Really smooth. And now I look at them. I sometimes do. I, it's weird, but I hold them up in the mirror and I go, wow, like what's happening to my elbows as I get older? Like they're rubbery and they're hard. And I think, should I put cream on them? Like is that what oil of Olay is for, to put it on your elbows? This is what happens. The body is frail. It's broken. It's breaking down. Ken's powerful story this morning about his dad. His dad's body is frail. It's frail. That's where the treasure goes. The treasure goes in the frail body. The treasure goes in the jar of clay. And going into the jar of clay, it begs the question, why? Now, before you answer it from the passage, just think about this for a moment. The juxtaposition, the contrast, the compare and contrast of this amazing treasure, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, is dropped into a frail jar. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, in the body, and Ken's story this morning of such an amazing introduction to what I want to say today, our body is deteriorating. Our body is frail. Our body is losing power. And the treasure is in there. And what we learn is the treasure is going to be more long-lasting and will sustain us much longer than the jar of clay will. One of the problems with seniors is many of us spend a lot of time trying to postpone the inevitable. Right? It's one of the big problems among seniors. We spend a lot of time trying to postpone the inevitable. The body is decaying. The body is frail. Eventually the body will die. That's where the treasure is. And it's there to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now what Paul does in this argument is he says that I'm going to contrast for you how we need to deal with the treasure and deal with the jar of clay. And have you noticed there are Christians who specialize in the treasure and there are Christians who specialize in the jar of clay? Have you noticed there are churches that specialize in the treasure and specialize in the jar of clay? I've been to some churches. I have some Christian friends, not too many, and that's intentional. People who think, like, everything's amazing, everything's great, God is good, life is wonderful, it's just fantastic all the time, and you come with a problem, and you feel like they've got a big blanket, and they just drop the blanket over you. Well, God is great. Yeah, but I've still got a problem. Yeah, but he's great. I know God is great. And then there's other churches that have like eight sermons on marriage problems, and then seven sermons on self-image problems, and then six sermons on mental health problems, and nobody talks about the Bible, because that's too much about the treasure, so they talk all about the frailty and brokenness of people. The specialization in the treasure, or the specialization in the jar of clay, is not what the Bible teaches. The triumphalism of the treasure emphasis and the pessimism of the jar of clay emphasis is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not go to this extreme or that extreme. It says the treasure is in the jar of clay. They're together, and why are they together? To show this all-surpassing power from God and not from us. Now Paul's going to explain what this looks like. Let's look at it together. Notice what he does now is he's got couplets that he puts together to illustrate this point. It's the same point, but said in a different way. So these couplets, 
present things on the green, and you'll see I've colored one side of the couplet green, because they're the triumphal strength side, and then there's the red, the more pessimistic weak side. And he talks about these couplets. Let's look at these couplets together. Look what he says first of all. We are hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. Now, you may have some Christians you know that when you come to them and say, you know, I'm really, really hard-pressed. I'm feeling kind of claustrophobic. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And they go, well, you're not crushed, though. No, I, I, I know I'm not crushed, but, but I'm hard-pressed. And what they want to do is they want to push you into one or the other. Notice what Paul says. Even though we're hard-pressed, we're not crushed. As a parent, a parent who struggled with a lot of pain as a parent for 32-plus years, and as I've shared with some of you, the first 60 years of parenting are the hardest, the, the pain in parenting often feels to me like I'm experiencing claustrophobia. Often feels like I'm experiencing claustrophobia. I feel hard-pressed. I feel hard-pressed. And sometimes I'll share with somebody and say, as a parent, I feel hard-pressed. And they go, yeah, but like, there's some amazing things with her too. Yes, that is true, but it is also true that I feel hard-pressed. Both are true. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. And notice what Paul says. I am hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. Both of those things are true. And so you live in this relationship between the two things together. One doesn't cancel the other out. Look at the second one. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Some of you in your workplace right now are very perplexed. You're struggling. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying to discern a direction. You're trying to see which way you're going to go. You're perplexed by that, but you're not in despair. Like you haven't reached, you, you feel like you're really on the edge of despair in the workplace right now. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's looking for another job, maybe there's layoffs in your company right now and you're feeling the sense of, I, I feel this, I'm really perplexed about what's going on and I just feel like I'm on the edge of despair. Both are true. You're not completely despairing, but you are perplexed. Look at the third one. Persecuted but not abandoned. Some of us in our extended family have a sense of persecution. We don't talk about this publicly often, but a lot of us in our extended family do have issues and struggles, and you feel sometimes that you're being persecuted or you're being ganged up on, or there's a little group of your family that doesn't like you, or a little group of your family that doesn't like your spouse, or a little group of your family that doesn't like your children, and and there's tension there, and there's difficulty there. And Paul says, yeah, I've been persecuted too, but I'm not abandoned. I'm not completely given up on, even though I feel persecuted. And notice, not being abandoned doesn't cancel persecution. Both are still true. And then the last one, struck down but not destroyed. When you get a left uppercut to the chin and you're lying on the mat in the boxing ring, you may be down, but you're not out. And how many of us, I'm one of these people in this room, in some of our mental health issues. I've struggled with depression a lot of my life. In my depression, I often feel like I'm lying on the mat, but I'm not out. I just feel like I'm knocked down. And those of you who struggle with depression or anxiety or mental health issues, have you ever had that experience? You're right smack in the middle of it. You just feel like I'm lying on the mat, I'm looking up. I'm not seeing stars, but... I'm just looking up, I feel really down, but I'm not completely out. I feel like maybe I can struggle to my feet again and grab the ropes and pull myself up and keep engaging in the match. Maybe that can happen for me. And Paul says, I'm struck down, but I'm not 
destroyed. And notice here what Paul does, consistent with the argument that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He does not say that we just have the treasure and we don't have the jar of clay. He does not say we just have the jar of clay and we don't have the treasure. What he says is both of these work together. And as they work together in our lives, they inform each other and we understand better by these informing each other. And now he goes on and explains it in more detail. He now moves into using death as a metaphor, not an event. And it's interesting now what Paul's going to do. And this is Paul, the incredible writer inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, the writer who combines now not just the strength and the weakness, not just the treasure and the jar of clay, but now he links death with one and life with the other. And again, notice in this passage, I've given you colors again, green and red, so you can follow the argument through it. What does he say? We always carry around in our body life and death. That's an interesting way of conceptualizing this, isn't it? I sort of think I'm alive now and I'm going to die. That's how I think of death. Paul says, no, no. As a Christian, we always carry around in our body life and death. And what is, what is death? Death is hard-pressed. Death is perplexed. Death is persecuted. Death is struck down. These are things that are death-like. When you're in the midst of your anxiety attacks, when you're in the midst of your depression, when you're in the midst of your marital struggles, when you're really, really battling as a parent, what does it feel like? It feels like death. I haven't died yet, but I've had a lot of death experiences of pain, of struggles, of difficulties where I feel like death. And Paul says that's part of what it means to be a Christian. And apologies to those of you who are triumphalistic about the Christian faith. If you think that the Christian faith is all triumphal and wonderful all the time, that's a complete denial of the way the Bible teaches the Christian life. We carry around in our body death all the time. And I love the image. We carry it around. Like, it's not like, oh, I got an aberration. My life's so amazing, and now this thing's intruded in me. No, we carry around in our body, we carry death. But we don't just carry death. What else do we carry? We carry life in our body. And what's life? It's not being crushed. It's not being in despair. It's not being abandoned. It's not being destroyed. And notice, this is almost like when we travel... Uh, we often try to get two cases on board, you know, so you don't have to pay and all the rest. And so you got to so go on with these two cases, right? And then if you can sneak a backpack in or a purse or something, it's even better because they don't pay any money. So we have our two bags we're carrying onto the plane. And sometimes I sort of put one behind my back in case it's too big and carry it on the plane. Yeah, we're all carrying two bags. We're all carrying two bags every day, all the time. Two bags, two bags. One bag's life, one bag's death. One bag's amazing things are happening, the other bag's, it's awful. We're carrying those bags all the time. All the time we carry them around. Why? Because we follow Jesus. Because we follow Jesus. Now this, friends, and this one makes me angry, so my apologies if this comes out too strongly. There are too many people around who think following Jesus is a big smile and no problems. There's too many of them around. They need to be put away somewhere. There's too many of them. Following Jesus is not a big smile and no problems. That is not following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to do life the way he did life. And guess what? Jesus carried two bags all the time. Persecuted. Struggled. 
hard-pressed. All the things in red there, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, read the Gospels, Jesus experienced. He was perplexed, he was struck down, he was hard-pressed, he was persecuted, he experienced all those things. But he also experienced that he wasn't crushed, he wasn't in despair, he wasn't abandoned, and he wasn't destroyed. It's one of the reasons we don't like talking about the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, right? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going, ooh, like, it's a little rude. Like, have you read the Bible recently? No. Jesus struggled. His friends abandoned him. The disciples he led didn't get him. He spent three years discipling him, and they're still asking dumb questions at the end. He struggled. It was hard, but there was life there. And following Jesus, we carry around in our body life and death all the time because we're followers of Jesus. Why? Because that's the way he lived. Now, there's a shocking thing at the end of this passage. Look at it. We're alive or always been given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. This means being a follower of Jesus, we can expect pain, we can expect suffering, we can expect difficulty. We know that's going on. But notice the last verse. Now he shifts it, right? He's been talking about it. Just follow this at the end. I'm almost finished. He, he says at the beginning, there's this treasure in jar of clay. He says there's, there's strength and weakness. Then he gives us the couplets to say both of these are true. Then he says this is the way Jesus lived. Jesus carried life and death in his body all the time. And because we follow Jesus, we have two bags when we're getting on the plane. One says life, the other one says death. That's true. And then he says, let me tell you how I see myself in ministry to others. Look at the last verse. What do you, what's he saying? Death is at work in us, and life is at work in you. Part of Ken's experience with his dad is now Ken's going through pain to minister to his dad so he can give dad life. You ever thought of life that way? That if you realize the Christian life is a sense of dying, those of us in, doing things in the workplace or doing things at our home or doing things in the marketplace or doing things in our neighborhood or doing things in the church, as we give to others, their experience of death comes so others can have life. The moms and dads here have little kids. Kim and Brian sitting at the back with their little boy. What is life for Kim and Brian right now? It's a life of death so that boy can live, Right? It's bad sleeps. It's, it's, it's all kinds of ch- challenges and difficulties. I talked to Brian about his sleep pattern the other day, and unbelievable what's going on. And that's like, it's an experience, isn't it? As parents, what do we experience? We experience death so our children can live. This is not an aberration. This is not an interruption. This, my friends, is the Christian life. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Let's live that way at Cap Church. Say goodbye to the triumphalists. Say goodbye to the pessimists. And get these two together so we live a Christian life that's consistent with the life of Jesus. Amen.